Hi, everybody. Welcome to the seven day work week, the labor after labor podcast. Uh, today we are discussing uh, our bodies after we have had babies. Uh, M, did you find a quote for us to start the episode off this week? I did. So I found a quote from the beautiful Kate Winslet. We love her. Um, this is kind of an old quote. It's from 2008 when she was um, having kids. But I thought it was a great way to start this episode. So the quote is, I have a crumble belly and my boobs are worse for wear after two kids. I'm doing all right. I don't look in the mirror and go, oh, I look fantastic. Of course I don't. Nobody is perfect. I just don't believe in perfection. But I do believe in saying, this is who I am and look at me for not being perfect. So I really liked this quote when I was going through. This is from a Cosmopolitan, like 16 celebrity. Um, it's pretty much just celebrities talking about their post-baby bodies. And I really, one, I really love Kate Winslet. I mean, who doesn't? But um, I really liked her quote just because, you know, everybody's so body positive. Um, I don't think anyone looks at it and just says, you know, I don't really like where I'm at. It's just... I'm happy. Look at me. I did this amazing thing. Look at my body. Look at my stretch marks. Look at my flabby stomach. And no one says, you know, I don't really love where I'm at. And Kate kind of said it. And I thought that was great because you're not perfect. No one's perfect. And it's hard to hold women postpartum to this perfection. Yeah, I really like that there's this moment of acceptance at the end where it's like, I'm, I'm not going to accept perfection. And I'm just just it's or I, I am going to accept um, a lack of perfection. And it's just, it is where I am and I'm going to make my peace with that. Um, because yeah, I agree with you. There is such a, a kind of explosion on social media of visual images of people taking photographs of their postpartum bodies. And there's just this sort of, um, relentless positivity around it that I think is productive in some ways. Um, but in other ways kind of feels um, maybe not genuine. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, let's before we get to be critical assholes. I mean, what do you think? Do you think when you see those images of people taking photographs of their stretch marks or their weight or whatever it is, is there something that you like? What is working about that approach, do you think? Are we talking about just like regular people on Instagram or are we talking about like celebrities? I guess it could be either. I guess it could be either. Um, you know, I flip flop. I kind of had the idea going in that I wanted to be really real about this. And like, I don't necessarily love um, seeing all the body positivity because I personally am not super positive about my body right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it almost feels like gloating a little bit mm -hmm. and showboating being like, you know, I'm not perfect either, but I'm okay with it, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, well, shit, I'm not. So it kind of like makes mm -hmm. me feel bad about myself. Mm. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's really great what you bring up because it's like, it has this effect of being like, Oh, great. We, we, our bodies are scarred. Right. And there's this, also this rhetoric around scars and wounds of the battle that you've been in and like, be proud of your scars and wounds. Right. And, um, 
So like on the one hand, it's like that can be empowering because it's like, oh, I'm a member of that community. Like I've gone through this thing and that's great. But there is the adverse effect of just because you feel good about your stretch marks does not mean I feel good about my stretch marks, does not mean I feel good about my weight gain, does not mean I feel good about my breast leaking constantly. Um, so then it has this adverse effect of being like, well, what's wrong with me that I can't feel okay about this. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, leads you to kind of have more depressive feelings. And then there's also like this justification where sometimes I'm like, I don't know, like some of these images, like they're, 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 t- the photographs are so beautiful. Um, where it's like, in some ways it's like, it's, it's a performance of, um, body positivity, I feel like, where it's like the lighting is so beautiful. You have like this cool arty tattoo. Um, you're in this gorgeous swimsuit that complements the color of your scar somehow. And it's like, it's a performance of body positivity. I don't really feel like, like maybe they are body positive, but to me it feels performative. It feels Mm -hmm. like it's performing for a currency of people liking an Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I find it disingenuous in that way. Yeah, the reason why I kind of asked um, if we were talking celebrity versus like Instagram influencers mm-hmm. is because I was reading an article, I think it was People, and it was People or was it E? No, it was People. And it was just talking about um, celebrities' pressure to get back to that pre baby body weight. You know, if you're um a model for instance you have to get back to that pre-baby body weight if you're you know chloe kardashian that's just the name that i'm looking at right now you have i don't want to say like an obligation but like you're known as this persona and having this body and being this person um so there's a lot of pressure to go back to that pre-baby body weight and um i wonder if that translates to instagram influencers who almost feel the obligation or the necessity that they have to be body positive or, you know, like this is their brand. So Mm -hmm. they have to take these artsy production photos and say like, look at my stretch marks, look at my saggy boobs, look at my big belly. I'm happy. But like, Mm -hmm. are they, who knows? Yeah. I love that you bring this up because it's like, it's like a, it's two totally different approaches, but both of them are kind of, economically motivated if you are a model or an actor for work unless you have a certain amount of clout you got to get back you got to do the bounce back phenomenon as Mm -hmm. it's called right Mm -hmm. you have to bounce back to your original weight in order to continue to book jobs especially Mm -hmm. if you're a model i mean it's such a short window um, of time where you can even be in that hyper competitive world um and so yes if you want to continue your career in that field which I don't know. And then I just like realized that I'm talking about this. I'm like, what percentage of the population is actually models? Point oh oh one percent. You know what I mean? I, I have no clue. Yeah. They loom so large in our psyches anyway. Right. It's like they're, they're nobody. They're, they're no people are these people. Yeah. But um, anyway, so there there is that impetus. But I guess... I guess the fact is that they do loom large. Like the quote that we started off with was from a celebrity when I was like looking online for quotes about postpartum body image. It was a lot of roundups of celebrities where it's like regular people look to them to have some sort of, I don't know, sense of solace or it's okay because they felt this way too, which is also problematic. But 
Um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, uh, sorry to go back to this, that there's like these two economic forces. It's like, if you are in the currency of your body, um, being a kind of standard, uh, white, uh, cisgender, thin, uh, body that you have that kind of obligation to, to perform that. But then the other side is if you are outside of that realm in any way, you are in the body positivity movement, which has its own currency and its own economy and its own kind of stressors so that you perform body positivity in a certain way. And so it's like, mm-hmm. there's a place for you either way. You can either be thin and fit or you can be fat and full of stretch marks. And either way, there's a space for you um, so that you can kind of have this um, acceptance that I think has kind of weird problems with it that I want to keep talking about. But yeah, um, that was quite the ramble. I don't know if that made sense. (laughs) No, I think it did make sense. And I agree with you. Um, You know, I don't, I'm, feel like I'm being very sensitive here but like because I don't want to shit on anybody but like Mm -hmm. I I don't know I just find it very hard in my current state to look at body positivity people because for some reason like there's to me there's like a disconnect between like celebrities and Instagram because I don't I'm not saying that the influencers on Instagram don't have some type of celebrity or clout, you know, they do. Um, but it's a different realm. I don't know in my mind. And Mm. so for me, they're just like regular people, regular moms when realistically they're not. Um, but yeah, it's to me hard to sit there and look at that and look at their bodies. And even though their bodies are very much like mine, it's hard for me to say like, that's beautiful. And I'm not saying that person itself is not beautiful. I'm not saying that woman is not beautiful. It's more so what stems within me because I don't feel beautiful. So I don't mm-hmm. see that. And I'm not like, this mm-hmm. is beautiful, which it is. It's a beautiful thing. Growing a baby is a beautiful thing. I really don't want to shit on anybody. Um, but it more so stems from my own personal feelings with my body, you know? So it's hard. It's hard to look at somebody and be yeah. like, how are you so body positive and open and uh, able to share your body in that way and just be like, I don't know. I just, I have a hard time, hard time. I agree because, you know, we always, um, before we have the episode, right. uh, We always have a sort of brainstorming session and kind of talk out like what kind of things we want to hit in the episode. And when we were doing that, we were saying like, originally we're talking about body positivity as like the title of this episode. And then we both were just like so negative about our bodies. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think that it, I, I don't feel, I feel fat. I, 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 uh, and it's my own fault. Like I keep, um, I'm not exercising. I'm overeating. Um, I did find an article, um, that suggested that, you know, a lot of women are overeating after pregnancy, which is a cause of the fact that, um, we're not happy with our bodies. Um, it's almost universal that we have poor body image six months postpartum. Um, is what I was finding in a bunch of these journals is that these studies of women, they are not okay with their body. So that's also a disconnect where it's like you have this like uh, output of content in this massive way about how great we feel about our bodies, right? And it's like, but that's not matching up with the researched reality 
that women are reporting postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not positive about their bodies. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, you were bringing up this distinction between like the celebrity and the Instagram person is like not real and real person. And it's like, how real of a person can you be if you're an Instagram person that has like 5,000 followers? Yeah. Like you are constantly in the public realm. Like it is a sort of celebrity. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're performing things for an audience at all times. And so if you perform, I feel like a fat cow and I ate an entire bag of Limon Lay's last night <laughs> and cookie dough ice cream. Like, that's going to be a problem for your followers. If you're like, you know, getting down on yourself for being a fat pig. Like, I don't know how you make that pretty or Instagram worthy. Um, I don't know how that's done. So, uh, yes, I, uh, I don't feel positive about my body. I feel that through, I, I am overeating and I'm having unhealthy eating habits and I am not exercising. Um, so I don't feel good. I, I haven't lost the weight and I have a, belly now and I never did before and I don't like right. it. I'm not positive about it anyway. Right. I don't look at it and think, oh, look at the curve. It's so beautiful. I don't think that. I think gross. I should go do some crunches and I put on workout clothes and then I sit down. And uh sometimes that's as far as I get is putting on the workout clothes. <laughs> I mean A plus for effort. I'll give you that. Um and plus you haven't had your six week check, so technically you're not supposed to. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so those hundred jumping jacks I did that one day, that was against doctor's orders? I think so. I vaguely remember like them clearing me for exercise after my six week. Really? Yeah. I hit six weeks and I was like, okay, I can exercise now. Yeah. Because as we talked about on an earlier podcast, my, uh, because of COVID, my six week appointment got pushed to week nine. Right. So I haven't had it. Yeah. Right. Huh. Well. I mean, there's, there's some solace there at least. Yeah. So how, like, how are you feeling about your body? Do you want to just kind of, do you feel comfortable talking at all about like what it is that you don't feel good about after having Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Um, I, you know, I just don't like my new shape. And I think it's interesting because it's something that um, every woman, I feel like they look at old pictures and they're like, oh my God, I wish I was blank size or I wish I was blank weight. And realistically at that size, you weren't happy either. So yeah. going back, I'm just going to say like, oh, I w- actually, I, that's not true. I don't think anything from this period, I'm going to be like, oh, I wish I was that size. But, um, you know, I initially lost a decent amount of weight. So I gained 40 pounds with Charlie. Um, and I have some statistics on that, like the average weight gain and all that stuff that we can talk about later. Um, but I gained 40 pounds, which is a lot for me. I'm like five, four and a half. So that was a decent amount of weight for me. And, um, I ended up losing 30 of it and like 35. And then realistic, like in this past two months, I've gained five of it back. So I'm Mm -hmm. now down 30. Um, which shouldn't matter, like, as I'm saying it out loud, like, who the hell cares? But I don't like my shape. I never had boobs. Um, I was always, like, a B cup, maybe. And now I'm, like, a D, almost a double mm-hmm. D, um, because of the weight I'm carrying. And my boobs are different now. You know, like, they get saggy and not as pretty. Um, you know, and I'm carrying weight in my belly, like you were just saying. Like, 
yeah, I may have had like a little kind of like bump at the bottom, but now I feel like I have a tire. Like, I don't know if that's Mm. true, but personally, I feel like I have like a tire that I carry around and it's just not, um, I don't like it. No. And like I said, I lost that initial weight and I don't know if it's just, you know, and I, I forgot to bring this up during our brainstorm meeting, but I'm also kind of in this weird limbo right now because Charlie's just turning 15 months on the third and Mike and I do want a second kid. Um, so we're trying to figure out like, when do we have the second kid? I'm already 32. Um, even if I got pregnant now, I'd be 33 when I had the baby. So part of me is almost just like, why bother? Because I'm just going to gain all this weight again, Mm -hmm. you know? So why not just like eat my bag of limon chips and Mm -hmm. be a POS because like, why bother? I'm just going to gain it all. I don't know. So Mm -hmm. I'm in like a really weird limbo headspace that I don't know how to function or like get out of. (laughs) Um, I think that's really interesting because one of the things that I found that I, I, in my research that I think is completely true. And I just like love this way in which sometimes research like proves what you know is true. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I've definitely said this before to people. I don't know if I've said it in the podcast, but, um, you get way more social acceptance as a pregnant woman than as a new mom. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I found, it was, um, this study, the lead researcher was Abigail Clark and her, um, study was my baby body, a qualitative insight into women's body related experiences and mood during pregnancy and the postpartum. Mm -hmm. So they had qualitative telephone interviews with women, 10 who were in the, in uh, third trimester of pregnancy and 10 who were, um, postpartum, early postpartum. And, um, the pregnant ladies felt good about their body and the really postpartum ladies did not, mm-hmm. which I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense to me. And some of the reasons they cited, um, the themes that came out in these interview narratives of the pregnant women were like, um, they felt like their body like had this greater function. Like I am growing a human. Mm-hmm. Like I feel awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel the baby kicking, which is like really exciting and really like beautiful. Like every time I felt Margot kick, it was like, Oh my God. Like I loved it every single time. Um, and you feel like the, you know, the fetus has this larger meaning above aesthetics where like aesthetics feel secondary. It's like, I'm growing a person. It, it gives me like life purpose. Um, and then finally that you, there's positive social commentary that make you feel socially accepted and connected. People are always saying you're glowing, you're beautiful, right? And they're always saying that. And so that makes you feel you have a positive body image. Mm-hmm. However, um, after that, all of that goes away. None of that is there. Yeah. Um, there's what I found the narrative to change to is if I publicly complain about my body, the response is, well, you just had a baby. Well, you just had a baby. Which is true. I and just so there's did like that. this way in which accept your body, it's fine. You yeah. just went through this thing. Yeah. But there's also this way in which it's like, when does just had a baby go away? Yeah. Um uh a lot of people were saying like six months as this time when society sort of expects you to have quote bounced back. Um so it's like how long do I get to live in that you just had a baby um space that allows me to be paunchy and have fat chubby arms and underwear that no longer fits me where it's like oh good half of my underwear doesn't fit me anymore like that's not 
Um, I tried jeans on this weekend. <laughs> Hilarious. No, no, I, 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 tr- I had to change my outfit four times and finally settled on a dress because pants, it was, we weren't having it. Yeah. We weren't doing pants. Yeah. Um, so the point of all that is just to say that like, um, your idea of saying like, well, what's the point, especially if I'm just going to gain weight again, it feels like it's also like, it's okay for your body to change while you're pregnant, but not after. Yes. So while you were talking, I was trying to find a article that I read that I don't, I must've gotten rid of it because I can't find it again, but it was pretty much just saying like what you were saying, the acceptable timeline of how long it should take before you lose the baby weight or whatever. And there was something, you know, there's that saying, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard it, but nine months to put on, nine months to take off. Have you heard that at all? Hmm. No, I haven't, but I, I find it uh-huh. very annoying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nine months to put on baby weight, an extra organ, AKA your placenta, as well as um, I will look it up and put it in the notes somewhere. But do you know that you gain like an extra liter of blood? during all this yeah rude because you're you know pumping blood into it so like your fluid levels alone go up like crazy so like not only do you have like amniotic sac fluid you have a placenta which is an organ you've got all this extra blood pumping through you now hence the glow um Mm -hmm. and that you know your milk ducts are opening up like literally anything that Mm -hmm. can put weight on your body your body does it. and a baby growing at least eight to 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and then you're eating because you know, you're happy. So like to <laughs> lose all that in this small window, I feel like, I don't know why this is like coming into my head, but I feel like everyone is like by six months, you should be pre baby or at your baby weight. I read, I, I kept reading six months too. I didn't find anyone backing it up with anything, but in my, in my research, that six months figure just kept sort of popping up. Yeah. And that's so unrealistic. I, that I, I, I think it's personally unrealistic. Like, cause think about it. Your baby's not even like sleeping through the night until three months, maybe six months. So your sleep is completely off, which is huge when you're trying to lose weight. Like you're supposed to be getting regular sleep and regular um, activity levels. And how the hell can you do that if your baby's not? I don't know. I'm going on a tangent. But yeah, everyone, everything that I've been reading was saying like six months, six months, six months. But then yeah, the nine months on, nine months off. Like, ugh, that's terrible. So I remember personally, I gave myself like a year. I was like, by the year mark, I want to be down to my pre-baby weight. What were you were saying you had statistics on like average weight gain? What was the average weight gain you found? Yeah, so this is by the CDC. Um, so and oh, I just want to preface this with like BMI is um a flawed tool, I want to say. Um, that's body mass index for anyone who doesn't know. BMI used by medical professionals to um classify people into underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese. Um, And it's a very flawed system because the way it's calculated, if you have like different bone structure or like realistically a weightlifter will be morbidly obese because they have so much weight on them Mm. from muscle. However, 
their fat percentage is like none. So I just want to say like BMI has its own issues. So just take that with a grain of salt. But however, if your BMI is less than 18.5, indicating that you are underweight, you should gain anywhere between 28 to 40 pounds during pregnancy. If your normal weight, BMI 18.5 to 24.9, you should gain anywhere from 25 to 35 pounds. Overweight, BMI 25 to 29, you should gain 15 to 25 pounds. And obese, which is anything greater than 30, you should only be gaining 11 to 20 pounds during your pregnancy. Um, When I was pregnant, I only know this because I was a um, nutrition dietetic major for a little bit. So I knew what category I was in. I was technically 25%. So I was in the overweight category. So I should have gained 15 to 25 pounds. However, I gained 40. Like, no way was I even close to that. And I want to note that, like, at no point in my pregnancy, even when Mm -hmm. I had, like, hypertension, like, I had hypertension uh, related to pregnancy and all this stuff, never was my doctor like, you should probably slow down on your weight gain. Like, never. So... I thought, I don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting. But the one that I want to bring up is um, 48% of women don't follow those rules. 48% of women gain more than <laughs> what the CDC recommends for, like, weight gain. So 48 are above, 21 are below, and 32% are actually within those recommended amounts. And majority of the time, those people are below who are below are people who have the lower BMI, who are like the underweight BMI people. So they don't gain weight easily or I don't know. But that's normally the below. Very few people hit the within and majority of us hit the above. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So that is so is that to say that we're all extremely unhealthy when it comes to our pregnancy? That half of us have unhealthy pregnancy? It's just, so it just like makes you, it makes me wonder... So then if those people are turning out fine that are outside of the norm, that 48%, why is it that these are the CDC recommended numbers? Agreed. I don't know. What is the risk? I mean, maybe you're having an unhealthy amount of weight gain. I don't know. But it seems like if you have that big of a number that's outside of your um, norms, are those people okay? Yeah. Maybe the norms are inaccurate. I don't know. I think one, I think the norms are inaccurate and I think BMI needs to be like abolished, but that's just my personal thing. Um, but there are studies linked to women who gain excess weight. The concern is women who gain excess weight um, are more likely to get gestational diabetes yeah, and more likely to have larger babies. Okay. Who then there's studies that if your baby is large, perhaps your baby will then be obese as a toddler or an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have gastric or if you have um, gestational diabetes, you're more likely to get type two diabetes afterwards. Mm. Um, you're more likely to not be able to lose the weight afterwards, causing like health issues, heart issues, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there is how some... likely? any idea how likely I didn't find anything like conclusive because I don't think they know because like it's it's impossible to say like you as an individual, if you gain over, you know, this recommended 30 pounds, you will 
automatically get gestational diabetes. Like it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. So it's, it's like so much of medical advice is on, um, population risk percentages, which is like this giant thing where it's like, okay, if you're in this category, you're 10% more likely. And I'm just, I'm not saying 10%. I'm just saying in theory to get gestational diabetes Mm -hmm. say. And so it's like, it's used as a warning so that you are not as much, you're not at increased risk for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course that doesn't mean that you're necessarily are going to have an unhealthy life postpartum if you gain 45 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting because then it makes you feel like shit. If you're not in that normal range, my doctor told me 15 to 30 was normal, mm-hmm. um, which seems like it's in the overweight category. If I took notes correctly, uh, 15 to 30 is in the overweight category. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if she was like low key throwing shade, but, um, uh, I, I gained 40 pounds and in my seventh month checkup, I had gained 30 and my doctor said, whoa, you gained all of the weight that you're supposed to gain for your entire pregnancy already. What's going on? And that's when I told her I'm eating ice cream every day. Am I not entitled to that? And she said, well, maybe if you want to have like a quarter cup. And I was like, what is the point of that? Uh, who has a quarter cup of ice cream? No, that's a ridiculous thing. So she told me to slow the fuck down. And then I think I kind of did because then I gained 10. Well, then I gained 10. I don't know. I have unhealthy eating habits. That's clear from what I'm saying. It's, it's my own fault. I'm not blaming anyone, but I don't know. And uh, my initial instinct is to be like, no, 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 it's okay. You know, which we just talked about is not helpful, but mm-hmm. one you do gain majority of your weight in the last trimester. So gaining the 10 pounds at the end makes sense because Mm -hmm. your baby is putting on the most weight at the end. Mm -hmm. They become plump and cute and adorable. Um, However, I wanted to ask, how did that make you feel? Like to go into your doctor's appointment, have them weigh you, which is a pretty vulnerable thing in the first place. And for then her to say, whoa, whoa. I, I don't know. I I, uh, I often feel like doctors say offensive things. One of my doctors said, nice to meet you after the second time we had an appointment and I no longer saw her in the practice ever again. I, I don't know. Doctors are not as aware of how much they affect us. I think that they're fully ignorant about the power that they have. Um, so yes, when I, I didn't forget it. That was, month, that was four or five months ago right now. And I will probably remember that woe for my entire life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, did not enjoy it. Um, and you know, arguably, well, she's looking out for my health. That is her job. I don't know that whoa was the whoa, yeah. way to go about it. Um, but yeah, so, and then this is the other thing that I hate about this. Just personally for myself, I've never owned a scale. I now own a scale because during COVID, I had some remote appointments. And so they had me weigh myself and take my blood pressure at home and then report it. Hmm. Um, And so now I have a scale, which has now created an obsessive weighing of myself practice. Mm -hmm. And the weight's not coming off from after the baby. Um, I lost 10 pounds and I'm right. I'm still there. But that's the baby's weight. It's the baby and my uterus. That's eight pounds for the baby, two pounds for the uterus. That's it. That's all. I'm gone. And so I've really not 
lost the other 30 pounds that I'd gained. Um, and it's baffling to me because I'm like, oh, I didn't eat ice cream last night. I'm going to weigh myself. Oh, it's still the same. What the fuck? Um, and uh, so, yeah, before this, I just like, um, I didn't ever use weight as a thing. Like I would look in the mirror and be like, okay, you're getting a little chubby. And then maybe I would work out for a few months and then be like, okay, this is good. Um, or like a little bit, watch what I ate and then kind of bounce, you know, go back to what I felt okay with, but it was never contingent on a number. Mm-hmm. I, I should throw that fucking scale out really. Yeah. What I should do. Yeah. Cause it's all tied up in a number now, which I never was interested in knowing people would ask me, well, what do you weigh? And I would say, I don't really know. And it was true. Uh, I would get, and I would guess, I don't know, 130 to 140 probably is what I weigh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now, now we're at 170. And hey, we do. Just chilling there. Yeah. It doesn't change. There was like a brief period. It was like 167. And now I've been 170 for like a full week. It's just, it's very, I hate that number. Yeah. I hate looking at scale. I feel very large with that number. Mm-hmm. It never was that much. I know. Yeah. I got up to 200 with Charlie and I was like, oh my God, I had to stop. Like I kept looking away when they were doing the things because it's like, I never in my life fathomed that I, as a five foot four human being would gain would be 200 pounds yeah it was uh eye-opening and scary yeah (laughs) oh my god and no amount of body positivity is making me feel okay about that number sorry no uh i just found something that i was referencing earlier and i actually found it um it was from lifescience.com and it was another you know 10 things about your body or whatever but it's like 16 things that change after your body as a baby um And it says one in four women will hang on to 11 pounds or more a year after giving birth. Um, And having a baby, a woman will be on average 2.5 to 5 pounds heavier than she was prior to pregnancy. That's it? Yeah. And this is from Cornell University. This is a professor from Cornell University. But the thing I found interesting that they brought up. So, okay, say, you know, okay, you started your weight loss journey or you you start your pregnancy life at 150. Okay. So you end up losing everything, but you hold on to that last five pounds. So you're 155. Say you have three kids, four kids, you get five pounds after yeah. every kid. So yeah. your weight is going up. Your base weight is going up after every kid. I just, it, in some way kind of made me feel good. I mean, I'm 15 months, so I'm after that year mark, but I was like, Oh, 11 pounds. I'm holding on to about 11, well, 15 pounds more than I was pre-baby. So it's like, I don't know. It kind of like made me feel better, but it's also like, ugh, why? Why do you hold on to that weight? <sighs> and then there's like the flip side of this where like, okay, I have to tell you what Jason said to me this morning. So I was telling him, you know, he was asking me what we were talking about on the podcast today. And I said, you know, how I'm a fat cow. And he said, um, he said, you're the hottest you've ever been. Um, because he's, I don't know if it's because he's being nice or um, I have larger boobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, you can't compare yourself to your previous self. Before you were a co-ed, now you're a MILF. 
I give him A plus for that. I know, and I thought that's very funny. Um, but there, I think, is some truth in that where it's like, you aren't the same person. You have gone through this thing, and you can't hold yourself to the same standard. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I hear you. I agree with it. I just don't feel it. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. But um, I, it's at, at any rate, it's nice to have a partner that is being positive about it, even if they're lying. It's um, it's uh, I suppose it's nice to have that. Are you someone I uh, I'm terrible to give compliments to? Are you someone that rolls your eyes, or were you like, oh, that was nice? No, I laughed because I thought the co-ed mill thing was very funny. That was, that was good. I know. He's so I, I, I know. He just came up with that. And then I said, I'm going to quote that on a podcast. And he said, I came up with the name of the podcast, and now you're using me as a quote. I'm going to need. He said, you can't just use all my content. I said, calm down. Um, but no, usually when he says things like that, no, I don't accept compliments, and I don't really believe yeah. it. And, I, um, and then that's the other thing, right? Like so many... Um, I think women will very, will, will agree with this, that like a lot of the times there's this kind of combating of your negative body image with what men will really want. And they'll be like, men don't want you to be stick thin. Men want you to have curves, blah, 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 blah. I don't think women really care as much about what men want. I think women care about how they look to other women, how clothes look on them. And like all of these things are around being thin. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yes, it's nice to have, but my assessment of my own body isn't that much tied to his assessment of my body as much as it is my own assessment of my body, and I feel too big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's also kind of a random thing that uh, I thought about is, like, I'm also personally in this, like, weird limbo. So, like, I, I'm in standard sizes. Um, I'm on, like, I'm in, like, a 10. We'll say, like, a 10 gene. So, like, I'm in standard sizes, no problem but I'm in the high end of all the t-shirt sizes. So then I think, do I need to go plus size? But all the plus size stuff is cut for plus size women, not this weird limbo body, you know? Mm. So it's like, even if I wanted to be body positive and like accept my new body, I have no idea how to dress it. I have no Mm. idea what to even buy to be like, ooh, this looks good on you. So I'm hearing, Mm -hmm. you know, a big t-shirt and some yoga pants because that's what I wear now, you know? So how do you even figure out how to do that? I don't, I don't know. I have no clue. I have no clue. Yeah. And where I'm still in this denial phase where, um, you know, I love clothing. I love to shop. I love fashion. I love all of those things. And I, have like maybe gone on some websites or something to shop online and I start looking at clothes and then I go, wait a minute, you don't have your body back. There's no point in buying yeah. this. And so I'm not getting clothes because I'm like waiting for this moment when I return to the size that I was and then can buy clothes again. Um, but there is a good, uh, something else to be said that even if I got over that and was like, okay, accept your body where it is, buy clothes for this body. I got no fucking idea. Shopping online is out of the question because I have no fucking idea how to dress for this body now, I don't know what cuts are going to look good on my body now because it's a completely different body. I think it's funny because you brought up like underwear. You're like, my underwear doesn't fit me anymore. And like, that's just a trivial thing. And it's just like, who cares? It's underwear. But like just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I didn't even go anywhere fancy. I went to Kohl's Mm -hmm. and they were having like their underwear sale. And I like went and I bought, 
I don't like the size of underwear that I'm in. However, I bought a bunch of like cute, soft, cheeky underwear in that size and bras. And I like packed away all my old underwear and I was just like, okay, I did this for me. I feel better about myself. And I did for a little bit. I was just like, ooh, this helped. However, you brought it up. You said, I didn't, I haven't bounced back yet. I'm not at my pre-baby weight. So I don't want to accept this size and spend money on this size because when I get my body back, I'll have all those clothes again. So like when, when does that switch happen or does that switch happen? I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I don't know because it's the same thing that I did from my early twenties body to my late twenties and early thirties body. I, when I got pregnant, one of the biggest sacrifices I made was the, our third bedroom in our house was my dressing room. And it was so wonderful. I just had clothes everywhere and compartments for shoes and full length mirror. And I just dressed in there, but that became the nursery. And so one of the biggest sacrifices I made was I went through all my old clothes and I got rid of six bags of clothes because I couldn't store all these clothes if I don't have a whole room for it. And so I got rid of six garbage bags of clothes and almost all of them were things that I hadn't worn since I was 23 that I'm holding on to because I think... I'm going to lose my weight and be 120 again. No, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. You need to move past that. And so it's just, that's a constant thing. I think with the crazy, you know, species that is a woman where it's like, you have this like delusion and like, Oh, I'm not going to get rid of that because uh, that cute zipper mini skirt. Cause also not age appropriate anymore either. Elizabeth, the zipper mini skirt. <laughs> Get, stop it. It doesn't fit you. It, it was already tight when you bought it and <laughs> just move forward from it. And so, yeah, I, I'm now I'm having it in pregnancy and I am not ready to get rid of clothes yet that I have. No, I'm not ready at all. I'm still, yeah. I'm like seven weeks postpartum. I'm still hoping that I'm going to get into those clothes, but I may find in a couple years that I haven't and that now I'm just a bigger person. And I really hope that isn't the case. Like, even thinking of that is really upsetting me. But, like, if that's the case, that's when I'm going to have to confront, like, throwing out clothes that don't fit me. But I'm definitely not ready for that yet. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I have, I didn't throw clothes out. Like, other than, and the underwear isn't thrown out. It's just packed away. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, I love that. It's not thrown away. <laughs> Why do I think I'm ever going to be a B cup yeah. again? I highly doubt it. I mean, I might. But, God. Yeah. If, this pregnancy did this to my boobs. What is the next one going to do? Like, why am I holding on to this stuff? This is delusion. I know. And then the thing you said about even when we look back at pictures, we weren't happy then. It's completely true. And I just think about myself in high school where I like I developed so late and I was so flat chested and I was just like an A cup. And it was mm-hmm. like and all I could think about was, oh, my God, I wish I had bigger boobs. Oh, my God, I wish I had bigger boobs. Mm-hmm. And now I have them. and. Definitely wish they were smaller. No yep. question about it. And it's just, I don't know, what the fuck is wrong with us? What the fuck is wrong with women that this is like, and again, the whole body positivity movement, I really think is a niche amount of people. And I think it is mostly performative. I, I think that the statistics are bearing out that most people are not happy with their body and do not feel body positive. And that was the other thing I was finding that it's tied to um, depression. Hmm. Yeah. Um, This was from a study. uh, The main researcher was Eliza Hartley. It's called A Qualitative Insight into the Relationship Between Postpartum Depression and Body Image. And um, 
the the 17 women that were um, studied, seven were diagnosed with depression and 10 were not diagnosed with depression. And those diagnosed with depression, there was a link um, with uh, uh, their negative body image. So there's a, the, there, there seems to be a statistical reality that your negative image of your body leads to diagnosis of a mood disorder. So here we are. We're in these bodies that we don't like. We're depressed. We're holding on to clothes. We don't fit in. Um, so, you know, the question is, what do you do? Do you, like, how do you fix it? Do you work out? Mm-hmm. Do you watch what you're eating? Do you do what some women do? And do you do plastic surgery or reconstructive surgery? You know, is that something that you think you would ever consider? No. First of all, until Pampers sponsors this podcast, uh, ain't nobody got money for that in this household. Pampers are bust. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... I, I just, I don't like plastic. I just have a bad opinion of plastic surgery. In recent years, I've actually felt like, oh, the Botox doesn't seem like that big of a deal. So who knows if maybe my ideas would change moving forward. Mm -hmm. But I just, I feel like on principle, it's just like um, a really problematic kind of buying yourself to well, um, you know, side effect of capitalism and, uh, you know, women as uh, objects where it's like, of course, we have this society that's hyper obsessed with plastic surgery because it's a way where in our society that's obsessed with money, you can purchase um, the body that is acceptable as dictated by the world around you. And so I don't really like plastic surgery generally. I've always been sort of judgmental of it. Um, which is not cool of me either to be like, you know, it's your body. Like if that's what you want to do, you know, that's your prerogative. But for me, I don't think I would do it. Would you? I don't know. I want to say no, because I am always someone like, Ooh, this diet, that diet, whatever. So like, I am more of like a eating and working out individual, or at least I used to be. Um, so no, I think I would lean more that route however I did do a little like reading into people who have had like liposuction tummy tucks tummy lifts like body lifts or whatever they're called um and then like vaginal rejuvenation which I thought was kind of interesting as well um I don't know I don't think myself personally would do that but at least with like the vaginal rejuvenation thing I did read an article from a woman it was I think it was in Women's Health magazine. And yeah, Women's Health. And it's, I had vaginal reconstructive surgery and it transformed my sex life. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of interesting because it was someone who was just saying like, you know, I had these three kids with each kid. Um, her, you know, her sex drive was still there. However, her um, sensation wasn't because she delivered three very large children vaginally. Um, and she was unhappy. So she did something about it and she got this vaginal reconstructive that was $8,500, I think in the end. Yeah. Really? I thought that number was high. You thought 85 is low? 8,500? I don't know. 8,500. Yeah. I guess I don't, I guess I have no point of reference for how much something like that would cost. I get, I, okay. I guess you're right. That's a lot of money. No, I have no, I have no idea. I just read that number and I was just like, 
That seems like a lot of money, but I guess you're right. It's surgery. It feels like, like is it? And then something like that's not covered. That's out of pocket because that's right. I believe so. Because I, I think a lot of like breast augmentation is out of pocket as well. Yeah, because it's, um, it's, it's not. Although, yes. to play devil's advocate with that, especially once you link vaginal rejuvenation surgery to a healthy sex life, it doesn't feel so much elective as it does necessary. Because right. I'll tell you, if um, men needed something to uh, augment their uh, sex life, I'm sure that it would be considered um, essential um, part of health and self-care and not something that's elective. Uh, that, would be, that would be interesting to look up, like if uh, penile enlargement or uh, rectal dysfunction uh, surgeries are covered under insurance. Right. I would, imagine, I would imagine enlargement would be considered, we're just talking out of our asses. We really should have researched this, but you know, that's what happens when you're just talking organically, but like, yeah, sorry, yeah. I would imagine that enlargement is considered elective, whereas erectile dysfunction maybe is not considered elective. And I wonder again, playing devil's advocate, cause she did this, what she, the article is pretty much saying, um, she did this for her sex life and that was her thing. It wasn't like, you know, she was having like prolapse or she was having, um, I don't know, leaking issues or something medical, you know, but I wonder if you could possibly like spin it to your insurance and be like, no, 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 it's because of this. But realistically it's because of yeah. you know, something else. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I thought it was interesting and I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't think I would ever get vaginal reconstructive surgery, but it was almost um, refreshing to read an article from a woman saying, like, I had a great sex life. It was my husband and I had a great sex life because of my three babies. It was ruined. And I did something yeah. about it. Yeah. And I was like, that's kind of great. Yeah. Um, so I, I found something sort of on topic with what you've brought up here, which is um, that uh, this is um this is a piece called Sexually Speaking, Sexual Changes During and After Pregnancy, Preparing New Parents with Perspectives, Evidence, and Resources, published in the American Journal of Nursing. Um, and what they say is that there's, um, they, they kind of pulled all of these studies and a lot of the studies replicated the idea that there's a decline in sex during the third trimester, mostly because of um, uh, girth changes that you it's just really uh, a lot more awkward to have sex girth is the word they use in the in the article um and uh it's also declines after so but then usually you return to your normal sex life six months after delivery that's kind of the threshold where it goes back for most people um, and then they were saying, if you don't go back to a normal sexual life six months after pregnancy, um, it's usually one of these reasons. So there's trauma to the pelvic floor, which um, can happen because uh, you had a really bad tear or a bad episiotomy. Um, and so there's, you know, you, you just, it's hard. There's a lot, the level of tearing is correlated with um, not returning to sex. So mm -hmm. the higher level, the more likely you are to not return to a normal sex life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's also uh, a correlation with incontinence, both urinary and fecal, mm -hmm. which, oh my God. Is, 
maybe we should just take that out that disgust that I just said, but um, let's, let's edit that out. Um, so uh, there it's also could be caused by urinary or fecal incontin incontinence makes you less likely to resume a normal sex life. Um, so in a study of 50, 75% of women reported at least occasional urinary incontinence at six months. Um, uh, gestation, 34% at six months postpartum, and then a year after uh, delivery, 105 to 23%, there was kind of a variable there, reported urinary incontinence. So um, it gets better and your kegels is what the article recommends that, be, because the point is, right, if you have urinary incontinence, we know that as women, so much of our sex drive is related to how sexy we feel. Mm -hmm. And if I have urinary incontinence, I'm not feeling beautiful. I'm not feeling good about myself. And that is a problem for me when having sex. Um, and um, the last kind of thing that they said was um, uh, dyspareunia um, causes um, lowered um, sex drive, which is the fancy medical term for, ow, this hurts me, ow, hmm. um, where you have after, um, delivery and as you get older, you have decreased, um, lubrication. Um, but, and also when you're breastfeeding, your hormone levels are out of whack and you also have less lubrication. I read that. And so you have, it hurts. Um, and then there's that other thing where you're afraid that it hurts and fear is associated with less lubrication. Um, so all of those things together postpartum, um, create the statistical reality where most women aren't returning to a normal sex life, um, whatever was normal for them until six months. So yeah, that makes sense that you might, especially if you had a bad tear, um, I wonder if the, if there's anything to do about lubrication, but, um, like, I don't, do you know if that has any, no clue. Right. Like, I feel like they should be prescribing us a hormone for that. I think, I know there is one. Yeah. Um, cause I know it's common for like menopausal women mm -hmm. to lose, uh, lubrication. So I know there's like something there. Um, but everything I've read was like, it comes back. So maybe mm -hmm. they were just like, eh, I don't know. It, like in that, it, that can be a larger discussion on like women's sexuality. And is it important or is it something to really like uh, put time and effort into? Because it's kind of the idea of like, well, in six months, it'll be back. Or, oh, you know, mm -hmm. in a year, you won't have pain anymore. Or, you know, your scarring mm -hmm. will heal or whatever. Oh, it's just a year. But it's like, mm -hmm. no, that's, you know, um, sex is a huge thing for women and in couples and to just kind of poo poo it and just say, eh, eh, it'll eventually go back to normal. Like that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Did your, um, did your nurse or anyone after you gave birth and you were in recovery, talk to you about sex No. and what was normal? No, no, no one did. No, I don't think so. Did they for you? Well, the nurse said something to me like, you know, you want to wait at least six weeks to have sex. Um, your stitches are healing. Um, and I don't remember much more of a conversation about that, but there was at least broaching the topic of sex in the recovery room. Hmm. And you don't remember that happening for you at all? No, but I do know that information. So perhaps my doctor did it. 
Yeah. Like talking about yeah. like the six month checkup. Um, six week, you mean? Six week. Thank you. Six week. Um, but I don't remember them talking to me at the hospital about it. Yeah, I just bring it up, I guess, because this article I was quoting from um, was written by a clinical nurse and um, sex psychologist, and she was sort of calling for nurses to bring this up in, as, as a responsibility in recovery, that um, people have to be aware of the changes. Couples should be aware of the changes to their sex life. Also, because the other change to your sex life cause that uh, this nurse brought up in an article was something that you had brought up earlier, which is your whole life is this baby now. Yep. You're having, you're not sleeping through the night. All of your focus is on the baby. And um, so sex feels secondary. Right. Um, and so that's also uh, contributing to that. And so, and the, the final thing she pointed out was that you are couples who return to a health, to a normal sex life are more likely to return to a normal sex life. If their partner is like consistently initiating sex. As in, like, if the male is consistently, or the female, or your no, like whoever your partner is, the person who didn't have the baby, understood, got it, should got be it. sort of um, broaching sex, and then you're more likely to return to a normal sex life. And so, what that seems to me is that uh, all of those other things, all those changes to our bodies that we talked about, with like tearing and fear and less, like all of that is making us not as likely to be initiating sex, and so. Part of that, like, counseling piece is, like, talking to your partner about, like, hey, more, it's more like you got to bring it up. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me because I would almost feel that I understand, like, as a mom and as a person taking care of an infant, like, the last thing on your mind is sex. Like, you're so tired and exhausted and, unattra- like, not feeling yourself. Um, sex is definitely not on the mind. But I would almost feel as though, like, unless you and your partner have a very, um, you're both on the same page and you both understand where you're coming from, like, it could almost be detrimental to have your partner being like, hey, you want to do it? You want to do it? You want to do it? Like, I feel like you really have to be on the same page with, like, I'm feeling better about X, Y, and Z, so now you can start. Almost, you know where I'm getting at? Totally, because if, especially if they're trying to initiate all the time, and you're feeling like, are you not getting this? That I'm not into it. No, I can, I can absolutely see that not working out. I just think it was interesting that, according to this article, it was statistically borne out that like partners had to be reminding them. Because I have to say, I, I, uh, I, I, I have not been doing any initiating. So, and I am right at that seven weeks, but because it's not high on your list right yeah. now. No. Sleeping, eating, you know, functioning as a human. Mm -hmm. Not saying that sex isn't part of Mm -hmm. that, but, you know, the basic necessities are kind of important right now. Eat, sleep. I I did, though. I did have sex for the first time. Ooh. Um, Which was not really. Yeah. You know, it it was the fear thing. When I read this article, I was like, and that's exactly how I felt. I was afraid that it was going to hurt, and I was very scared about doing it. So at least we're back in the saddle, so to speak. Pun intended. Is it a pun? No, and that's kind of we when we had our meeting, I we kind of talked about it. And yeah, if you go into it with like, this is going to be different, not bad, but this is going to be different. 
And like my partner has to be understanding and I have to be understanding that um, this isn't exactly going to be necessarily like fireworks Mm -hmm. or like the best we've ever had. Um, I think that helps and I think it makes it better in a way. But going in with expectations of like, oh my God, this is going to be the best sex of my life. We're going back to, you know, 20s when we were playing little rabbits. Like, you know, you may have to. And I, there was a article, part of that article that I was talking about from um, the livescience.com. They brought up that uh, unfortunately women orgasms can be less intense because the muscles in your vagina are stretched <laughs> and your uterus is stretched. So those uh, orgasms may or may not be as strong as they were pre-baby. Oh, Which, come on! So unfair. Give us something! <laughs> so unfair. Uh... And that's not for everybody. It's just saying that it may. Like, it may yeah. do this something you may experience. Yeah, Yeah, this is something I kind of talked about a little bit earlier about like that there, no matter what, whether or not you change your body to fit a standard um, or accept your body um, as a non-standard thing, that either way it's economic. Um, There was this one woman's article. It was actually her PhD dissertation. Her name is uh, Alexandra Sastry. I'm sure I'm pronouncing her name wrong. I apologize, Alexandra. Um, But her article is called Towards a Radical Body Positive, Reading the Online Body Positive Movement. And so she's kind of like talking about these way in which body positive rhetoric appears online and what that sort of means in a larger social context. And she is kind of talking about these um, like, economic ways that either way you're channeled into. Um, She said, quote, the performance of self today is tied to a tremendous economy of products that sustain the body as a continual project, reliant on multiple channelings into the controlled circuits of the economy. That last bit is from um, the philosopher Michel Foucault I brought up on an earlier podcast where um, you are always having to buy things in order to be that your body becomes that project um, that you work on and you purchase things in the economy um, in order to make your body ready for um, that, that presentation online in a performance of self, right? So like on the one hand, I think it's really cool that there is vaginal reconstructive surgery and it's really cool that there are tattoos to get rid of your stretch marks, but there's also this reality where it's like these things are reliant on you feeling like shit about your natural body. Right. That, that you you have to have this. I am not my best self. I am not my ideal self um, in order for this economy to exist. And, you know, I'm remiss if I don't point out that I think there's much less of this going on with men in the world than there is with women. There's definitely body image issues with men. Right. There are body ideals with men. That's not. But it seems like there's a whole much larger economy of products around women. And like whenever, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about the term body positivity, the first thing I think about are those Dove commercials from, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago now, where it felt like this really revolutionary thing where like they were like putting non-normal bodies, and by normal, I mean, you know, perfect media acceptable bodies in their commercials. Um, But of course, and it was like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, great but also it seems like this shorthand lie that dove is saying where it's like 
um, buy our deodorant because we don't care if you're fat. And it's like, no deodorant company cares if you're fat. You haven't solved any problem with my body image. You've just associated your brand with like body diversity and therefore are using that rhetoric of emotional acceptance in order to sell things. But if you haven't in any way done anything, you're, 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 there's no deodorant for fat people. There's no shampoo for large people. There's no body dove body bar it has nothing to do with your roles. It's not it. So they just sort of market themselves in a way to therefore in people's minds feel like um, dove accepts me no matter what. Well, of course they do. The larger market share, the larger uh, people they can sell to, the better. That's just capitalism. Just having a larger people to sell to. But I always and, and like dove is this like great example of um you know the economy of uh body positivity if you're body positive yeah yeah um but it's also like you there's also this whole psychological aspect that comes up that like reminds me of the whole depression issue where it's like if we're saying that most people are unhappy with their bodies after pregnancy um and a percentage of people who are, and people who are diagnosed with clinical depression after pregnancy also have bot, negative body image. This whole like, I feel good about my body. Here, take a picture of these stretch marks and everyone like it on Instagram and everyone feel really good about themselves. And don't we all feel good about themselves? It's this like performance of like psychological health that A, I find to be problematic bullshit and B, it just, it's like what we said earlier, if I don't feel that way, well, then what's wrong with me? And I think that you're not really feeling that way. And so you perform positivity to get this currency of likes that does translate into real capital, especially if you're sort of an um, internet influencer person. Um, and yeah, so, so that I think is like the larger kind of ugly side of the body positivity movement um, that, that I just, uh, I just wanted to put out there. Yes. Yes. No, I 100% agree. Um, I think you covered it completely. And um, we talked about this previously. Um, I don't know. Uh, postpartum, I think. It was our postpartum episode. We, we brought up Mama Frida. And um, yeah. this doesn't exact. I mean, yes and no, but realistically, there is a entire industry that focuses on the vulnerability of postpartum women and um, their uh, need and desire and want to go back to their previous self. So here, let me market this stretch cream to you. Here, let me market this weight mm -hmm. loss program to you. Here, let me market this mm -hmm. tummy tea to you. Um, and they prey on possibly depressed, unhappy women who are mm -hmm. dealing with their new bodies and their new lives. And it's disgusting. I, I completely agree because it's like, it's this thing with capitalism generally that there must be a deficit for a product to sell, right? It's right. like, you have to create a lack for there to be a desire in the marketplace, right? right? So, you know, we talk about like how much is, you know, the media influencing my negative body image. And like, in some ways it's kind of like 
eye rolly because whatever. But I do, there is like a capitalist reality that like, if I create a, a feeling like you are not good enough, here's your stretch mark cream to solve that. My product solves your problem. And in, in marketing my product, I can further create the problem that you perceive. Another thing this woman brought up in her like dissertation about rhetoric of body positivity, she brought up this like Lady Gaga image campaign where Lady Gaga uh, like posted images of herself um, and then had this whole rhetoric of um, the body revolution um, and, you know, post images of yourself. Um, and it was all of this like language of, first of all, like revolution that you're, if you post your real body, you're doing something revolutionary, right? That this act in itself is not normal. So it's like acknowledging that. Um, but also there's all this language around it of courage and bravery. I was just about in my head. I was thinking, oh, she must, she's so brave. Yes. What is, which is so many large women complain about that when you post a picture of yourself, like a lot of the times, like, you know, uh, especially like, uh, size scholars and feminist scholars around size will talk about, you know, when they like the, this rhetoric around, oh my God, you're so brave to wear that. And it's like, you'd never say that to a person who's a size six or a size eight, but because I'm a size 14 or 16, um, I'm brave. Okay. It's not an act of bravery for me to get up and walk outside. And that's really condescending yeah. for you to say to larger people that they're brave and courageous because they're wearing a bathing suit. It's like, I yeah. like to go swimming. Um, and yeah. it's really insulting for you to tell me that this act of normal, uh, thing that I'm doing going swimming is actually me being, you know, as courageous as a sort of a warrior. It's obnoxious. Um, but all of this body positivity movement, because you are showing your gross icky body with your stretch marks and your loose skin, um, you are therefore courageous. You are therefore right. brave, which is really problematic mm -hmm. in and of itself. Um, mm -hmm. Rhetoric that normalizes it as one thing, rhetoric that makes it an act of courage uh, has this whole, whole other host of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, as you were talking, I was just thinking in my head, they must be calling her courageous and brave and daring. And But no, she's just mm -hmm. like just the other, I don't know, month ago, uh, Katy Perry posted a postpartum uh, picture on Instagram it was her in like a nursing bra and like hospital underwear like the mesh underwear or whatever I saw that yes and everyone was saying how brave she posted this you know and she tagged like mama Frida or whatever and oh how brave was she to post that and everything and it's like it's not it, that's normalcy like and I but it's almost like drawing attention to it and it's just being like oh woe is me I don't know I couldn't take it seriously I was just like so you're doing this for views you're doing this for likes, you're doing this for attention, and you want to be quote unquote brave when every other woman does that and doesn't feel compelled to put their body out there and be brave, quote unquote. And again, there's the, there's the currency of bravery, that you get hearts and hearts about that, which these are all mindless fucking people that are just double tapping and scrolling, okay? Can, can we be fucking real about what this is? And also... Are we being honest? Don't you resent these fucking people? What, you really love this? I don't. It annoys me. Um, and this is where I think, um, I don't know. I don't think I've mentioned this in the postpartum episode, but uh, 
this is where I love comedians more than any other humans in society. But Amy Schumer posted something that like sort of mocked that entire body positivity, I think is what the image did, where I think she must live in a rural area because she was walking on um, a road and, uh, you know, there was like cornfields uh, on the side of the road. So, and she's walking with her stroller with the baby in the stroller and she is only wearing a bra and her postpartum under mesh underwear. And she's just walking down. <laughs> and that seems to me to be a way better image because not only is it exposing my postpartum body and not being ashamed about it, but it also has this sort of mockery undertone of people who are posting images of themselves and like, they're in the privacy of their homes and they've like created beautiful lighting, right? Maybe their baby is breastfeeding simultaneously while they're showing their postpartum underwear and they look sort of idyllic and Madonna-esque and beautiful. Whereas Amy Schumer looks like a hot mess walking in this rural cornfield in her mesh underwear and there's nothing cute about it at all. It's just fucking hilarious. Um, And so I'm much more on board with that sort of uh, commentary. I like that much better than these gorgeous photos of you and your mesh underwear. It's just reinforcing this stuff. Because it's real. Well, I mean, like walking in a cornfield in your mesh underwear is not real. I understand that. <laughs> but the, and it's widely known, the uh, realness of Instagram, uh, the real, you know, these photos are posed and edited and cropped. And like the experience itself could just be like, you know, there's a picture of a woman in a bathtub and uh, she's breastfed or whatever. Like she literally, it's not that she's doing this. She literally went in the bathtub with the perfect lighting to take this one photo and then got out. Like it's not real. One photo. She probably took a hundred and then chose the best proof. Well, yeah. correct mundo. Right. Yeah. Right. Ooh, God, can I delete that? Well, correct. <laughs> correct mundo. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Something full house or something. Um, yeah. And it's, it's uh, ridiculous and unfortunately then feeds into this whole narrative of I need to either be one body positive and accept my body as is and look at it as beautiful or two, I need to change my body and get back to my pre baby self. Like you, you can't win. Go for Amy Schumer. I need to look that up. That's really funny. Um, Okay, so I feel like we've kind of hit everything that we wanted to hit for this episode. Liz, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think I, I've hit everything. How about you? You good? I'm good. I think I've hit, yeah, I hit all my tabs. I think I'm good. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening again. Um, like we say, we are on all major platforms. Just search for The 7 Day Workweek wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, we're also on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at the seven day work week pod. So if you ever want to get in touch with us or interact with us, we do post there. Um, hi, Hab. Sorry, my cat is meowing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's it. Again, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.